Today's guest on the London Calling podcast is one of Ireland's most accomplished and highly regarded actors, Fiona Shaw. Hailing from Cork City, she left the homeland in her early 20s to pursue a career in acting in London. After graduating from the prestigious Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, she impressed with roles in Jim Sheridan's My Left Foot and Three Men and a Little Lady opposite Tom Selleck. Since then, she has mastered the classics, channeling tragic characters such as Electra, Midia and Richard II, as well as performing T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland as a one-person show. On the screen, she played Mrs. Nugent in Neil Jordan's The Butcher Boy and is recognised by a whole younger generation for her portrayal of Aunt Petunia Dursley in the Harry Potter series. More recently, she has lended her talents to the usually popular US TV series True Blood and has taken on the entirely new challenge of directing opera. Somewhere in the middle of this hectic schedule, Fiona made time to welcome me to her North London home to talk about her incredible career and how her upbringing in Cork has helped her to shape the characters she has become celebrated for. Off we go. Uh, well, firstly, Fiona Shaw, welcome to the London Calling Podcast. Thanks very much it's for, a pleasure to for be taking the time to chat with me today. I'd like to start where I guess both of us started, which is Cork and your upbringing and your childhood there. Could you tell me a little bit about uh, some of the memories you have of that and also maybe where acting came into play in, in your upbringing when it first reared its head? Um, well, I was brought up in, uh, I was initially brought up in Cove. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents were both from Cove and we lived there till I was seven and then we went to Cork uh, when my father went to work with the Eye and Throat Hospital. And uh, we came to Cork and we were always a good performing family, music. My mother loved singing, playing yeah. piano and my brothers all played an instrument and so we were always performing for, you know, aunts, uncles, the usual things in the mm-hmm. drawing room. Something quite 19th century about it. Um, but I went to the School of Music and I was taught there by the wonderful Abby Scott, who was a kind of inspiration. She was always slightly at odds with what she was doing. She was really... And she had been to RADA at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. And so okay. as I went through the years with her, uh, doing well under her care, um, and then I went to... At school, I... You know, I Played in Trial by Jury at, at uh, Skullborough, where I went to school. Mm-hmm. I loved all that. I loved doing the Gums of Shakespeare. But you know, these are just tendencies, really, because they weren't, there wasn't really a huge budget for productions in Cork. Yeah. And then um, at the end of my time at the School of Music and when I was at college, I applied for RADA. But it was really because of Abby suggesting it mm-hmm. in some way. So that's the rest then. As I started my life completely again when I came to London because... Training is training. You know, you don't get training at university. You get mm. amateur dramatics at university. Yeah. But I started at RADA when I had done my degree at, at um, UCC. But I, my upbringing was um, really very much more outdoorsy, I think I remember, it, than, than, than theatrical. I mean, we were a great family for playing tennis and mm-hmm. um, sailing. My brothers were great sailors. And um, so there was a lot of, you know, running around and socialising like mad. Yeah. <laughs> Did you find, um, you know, Cork is a very, like other parts of Ireland, but Cork has a distinct character and a very, like, eccentric kind of personality. Did you find that that gave you a little bit of a, a an edge or something different to everybody else when you came to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art? It did. I mean, you probably find it yourself as you've just come here. There's yeah. something about, well, Cork City is in that hollow and it's, it's as if nothing ever happened there, you know. It just stays very still. So you can feel the past very, very clearly in Cork, the river slowly running through. And um, you can also, of course, get to the sea very easily. And there's a lot of people who live in Cork don't want to leave Cork. I mean, it, 
It's amazing the amount mm. of people I know who say, well, I've traveled the world, but I'd much prefer to be in Cork because there's something gentle about it. Yeah. And there is something eccentric about it. I mean, my mother is now one of the great eccentrics in Cork, <laughs> age 92. I mean, they, 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 the personalities in a small place are much bigger than the personalities in a big place. You notice them. So yeah. there's, there's a huge uh, outline around people. I mean, I remember just marvellous people. Michael Bradley, who used to run the wine shop in, in uh, North Main Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, gorgeous, gorgeous man. Yeah. The Maddens, the family who are still there, friends of my parents. The Carneys, who produce wonderful doctors and psychologists. And Dorothy Cross, who's still a great friend of mine, the artist. Uh, that's a picture there. She took up, we were in the Galapagos oh. Islands, where she, we went on a, on a research uh, fellowship. But, you know, there are wonderful talents, and there's a sort of ease. My brother was a scientist. And his friends were all scientists, and they were all very interested in the preservation of newts and foxes and, you know, and badgers and all the rest of it. So there was a great variation of interest, I think, in Cork. Hmm. Do you think that we're deprived a little bit of, of, or we're too focused on our own, like, insular kind of art and literature, and we need to break out of that and come over to another country in order to, to like, I guess, maybe progress in, in that kind of space? I think all artists need to see... A world beyond their own. I think otherwise yeah. you have no perspective on your own. Mm-hmm. And the problem with dramatic arts is that you can end up talking to yourselves. Mm-hmm. You can end up writing plays about Cork for Cork people. And probably no great uh, knowledge will be uh, learned from that. It's, um, so I do think all artists need to go away to see what it is that they're looking at or from where they're from. Mm-hmm. But there's no doubt that your childhood is the thing that fuels your imagination it's the thing where you know, your hard drive is laid down with images so yeah. nearly everything I've done in Greek tragedy or Shakespeare or anything it's always maybe somewhere about Cork mm. <laughs> the universe is learned in childhood yeah and I also I read reading some of your your past interviews and stuff I read that you you kind of um you felt the almost a natural obligation to to pursue comedy when you first came into or like a comedic yes. comedic roles yes um, is that a symptom of, of being an aspiring Irish actor? Is that expected of you? That maybe... I think we associate performing with playing the card, don't we, with, with codding. I yeah. mean, there's a, there's a lot of... I, and I think at school... I mean, there's probably a rather serious answer to it. I think I was happier on high energy. I liked high energy, which may have meant that I was worried about uh, the strictness of upbringing or the gloom of the weather or... I. I'm thinking about that lately, actually, whether it was some reaction to needing things to be exciting, to make sense, to make things worthwhile, because a lot of it otherwise was uh, becalmed or you're in abeyance in some way. I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm making a bit of a theory out of maybe just history, but I definitely was disposed towards comedy and I was very funny. I loved being funny and finding everything funny. And, and probably 20 years later, I would have been a comedian. I, I think I just... What happened was I came over and I did do a lot of comic roles at Rada, and then I went to the National Theatre and the RSC playing comedy roles largely. I mean, I played, I mean, I played those heroines. I played Beatrice and Portia, but Celia was very funny. It was a funny part. I played some serious parts, but and then it wasn't until nineteen eighty nine when I played Electra that I realised what tragedy was and what it could be and how powerful it is and mm-hmm. how exciting it is and how it fulfils a fantastic gripping um, obligation 
that the theatre should always <laughs> aspire to. Yeah. So I, I really didn't understand tragedy until I was well up in my 20s. And now you're most associated with, with tragedy. tragic roles. In Except the, in the film, classics. not in film. Though. Not I mean, in film, film I've done a lot of nonsense. Mm. <laughs> in, in the theatre, yeah. The, does the process differ usually going from, you know, a tragic role like, uh, like uh, you know, an actor or, something. or something like oh, that, dear. to going to something like a TV, popular TV series like True Blood? Yes, um, I suppose, actually, comedy is quite hard and not very funny to do. Um, I mean, initially it's funny when you find the jokes, repeating the jokes are always harder. Mm. But the process isn't really like that. When we did Medea, which took a few years, we started in the Abbey in Dublin, and then we took it to London, to the West End, and then we took it to uh, Bam in New York, and then across America, and then to Broadway. I mean, it was a hugely long... And then to Paris. Mm. Oh, God. All those co-producers. And... <laughs> um, over that time, I mean, the thing that was really remarkable about Medea was how funny it was at the beginning. And that's why people liked it. It was very funny, a husband and wife fighting mm. over the children. It's only the end of it that is so profoundly tragic. So it, it is really a profound tragedy, but it's a, it, 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 all life has to be in a tragedy. Comedy has to be in a tragedy. Mm. Hedda Garber, I did, was very funny. And so I always try and seek the comedy in the tragedy. In that case, then, do you... Do you kind of dip into the pool of your own Irishness, I guess, when approaching those characters, either consciously or... I think Irishness is irony and self-irony. The Irish are fantastic at self-mocking, as yeah. you know. I mean, if you're not the butt of your own joke, and it's a very elegant humour because of that. People are always making jokes against themselves. Mm. And, they're, you know, jokes have been much analysed. Now, or not jokes, but even wit is analysed. But the Irish have this great, slightly not taking the world too seriously or finding... That, the, that reality can be turned upside down. Oscar Wilde is brilliant at that, at turning every phrase upside down and, and see that on the other side of the phrase there is a truth as well. Yeah. And um, I, I mean, I wouldn't analyse it, but I just think a kind of buoyant disposition is what the Irish have. And I notice it here in London, particularly now, that people are quite gloomy because the mortgages have shot up and Brexit is on the... And people seem very sad. And no, they're not. Mm. <laughs> just not do you think that helps sustain us when we go abroad then like our sense of humour I suppose is one of the most valuable characteristics massively the Asians have it too the Sri Lankans have it the Indians have it a great sense of humour and it just makes ordinary things like poverty or or problems or death or illness all more bearable mm. it's a, and, and the British are much more serious people mm. a collaboration has been something that you've uh, that you've maybe sought after a lot in your career you, with Deborah Warner you had a very uh, lengthy and still do have a very strong collaboration yes and we haven't had a, had a go for a while though we can't find anything so maybe maybe it's come to an end you, don't, you never know when you've come to the end of your mark but we, yeah we had a wonderful collaboration I, I worked when I was at Rada I was asked to fill in for a production of Wozzeck at the Edinburgh Festival mm. and I went up to Edinburgh and worked for this very young director who was just a powerhouse. She ran her theatre company from a phone box, putting in 10p coins to make phone calls. She worked for an actor and earned some money and then was able to investigate a play that she would sometimes do twice. She did Wozzeck twice just in order to learn something more about it. A very serious uh, 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 theatre director. And I worked with her and I found her so serious I didn't want to work with her again. That was in 1982. But in 1989... 88, at the end of my time at the Royal Shakespeare Company, I was asked to do a play with Deborah, and I wasn't at all sure I wanted to, and she wasn't at all sure she wanted to do one with me. Mm. And we were put together for Electra, but the the effect of Electra was so great in the theatre that we knew that we were a good team. Mm. And the following year, we were asked to go to the um, National Theatre 
with the good person Sichuan. So we did that at the National Theatre, and that also was a very good collaboration. And then we did Hedda Galbra, and then Richard II, and they were all experiments, really, and then the Wasteland, which went around the world. And so they were... And then it was some years before we did Medea. So we did we did a lot over over those years. But they were all huge productions and that they took a long time. Yeah. You've also collaborated with a lot of great Irish playwrights and artists. Um, the obvious ones are, are you know, uh, Jim Sheridan and, and Neil Jordan. Um, but Colm Toby, in a few years ago, you did that great, like you mentioned, Testament, Testament to Mary, yes. which is a fascinating kind of flip yeah. of, of the, yeah, of the Bible was. story. Coming from a, a somewhat kind of Roman or Irish Catholic uh, upbringing back in Cork, what was that like to tackle that, that role, I mean, of, of the Virgin Mary? Oh, well, of course, it was fantastic because like Colm, you know, all my, all your imagery is laid down in childhood. You don't have to research the Virgin yeah. Mary, you know, she's, she's in there. every bit of you. Yeah. Um, but I did read a bit, but I, and he did. I mean, he had read around it and he had gone to Ephesus to see where she may have ended her days or been assumed into heaven. But she, um, I, I, I was very moved. I mean, he, he, he is... He he did a very, very profoundly, the word clever isn't right. He just made a very good connection that, of course, the Virgin Mary is the mother of all men. At the moment, many women are the mothers of sons who are terrorists in some form. Mm. And so he never over... Um, he never overfell into that side of it, of the mm. terrorism. But it is a mother who believes her son to be a terrorist, not a, not a, not a god, and... Mothers don't really to go around believing their sons to be a god. So her ambivalence towards him was just genius in the mm. piece. It was very, very... But the, but the movingness was really about a mother not getting on very well with the son, which is an, also a very good turn yeah. on the wheel of perfection and um, probably much more likely mm. that he left her. And he doesn't mention her. She doesn't get mentioned much. And all he ever says to her is, woman, what, is, what have I to do with you? I mean... His words were incredibly cruel to her. Yes. So, um, you know, Colin made the story. So it was a very, very powerful story, but really what was good was its secularism. Mm. It's, it's, it, it could appeal to anyone. Yeah, I guess it's maybe more reflective in Irish society, society now, that story, considering how secular we've become. We're not all the way there yet, I guess. But No, and you don't have... You know, there is a great imagery in religion. So, mm. you know, in Ireland, I suppose, religion was the imagination, which isn't a good thing. You should also have an imagination freed of iconography of religion but uh, it's an imaginative tool when you asked me earlier what did I have when I came to England when I went to Rada first I definitely had a more extreme imagination than some of my colleagues mm. who had it ironed out of them from television series watching or yeah. or the ease of life in London compared to our, our mm. life in Ireland Pretty easy, easy life actually I just mean it was more free and flighty and mm. all the things that people say about the Irish are kind of true that there is a Something about the the power of language is almost greater than the power of reality. Often, hmm. and at the end of this month, we have a kind of a watershed referendum coming up back home. Um, how important do you think it is for uh, like our art, literature, and our theatre to kind of reflect that, or have a role in that, or should it have any at all? And likewise, should whatever happens come the end of May inform maybe some of the art we produce going forward? That's a big question. I think. Um, in general, I think best art is not about issues. However, you know, I, I think anything that teaches you a letter, any a, a lesson, any didactic um, art form is not art really. Art has to has to throw up the question and play with the ambivalences and the ambiguities around that question. I, I think um, 
So a play about a referendum, for instance, would probably not be, but it would be useful, it would be useful, but it wouldn't be probably art. Mm. However, the equality of rights and gender is profoundly important in any, any country because if you oppress one gender over the other, it's not good for either gender. Um, I think what's caught the Irish post the religious time is that we, what we couldn't see in broad daylight is how terrible that situation is. Mm. That an adult person who's conscious might have to lose their life for the as yet unconscious mm. seems to be profoundly against life. I mean, the stunner. So, of course, I think it'll be very good for women to feel that they are on equal footing with men in Ireland. I mm. think it might free them and help them enjoy the responsibility of being an artist more. So hopefully more work will come out of that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. That that, that might be a, a kind of a, you know, um, I guess a consequence of... Yes, of because if you feel oppressed, you act oppressed, you know. Yeah. You do. It's not good for you to feel oppressed. It's not good for you to feel unequal. And, mm. um, you know, we have it here in this country at the moment with this Windrush catastrophe, which is really one of the most ruthless home goals ever scored by a country to make its um, Commonwealth population feel unwelcome mm. 50 years later. It's, it's, it's a really bad faith mm. thing to do and it's caused most unnecessary upset, not just the people from Windrush, but to the whole dynamics of equality in a country. Mm. Indeed, it would have knocked on on the Irish too, except I think they're, they're slightly safer. Yeah. But it is a very cruel thing. And um, I think in Ireland, just once you find these fault lines that are bound to exist after the fall of the church, then it's good to iron them out. Mm. Is it a more, is Ireland a more, I mean, as someone who lives abroad, a more attractive place as a result of kind of how we've come out of that in the last 20 years? Ireland is a fantastic place. I mean, the fact that they stopped the smoking ban first and they, and they did it. Yeah. I mean, that was, I mean it's incredible. All my student life, I remember just, you know, a fog, a smoke in, cloud. in the cloud and yeah. in, the, in the pubs. And I think the really powerful thing about Ireland is that it is a small population of highly educated young people. Mm. It means that it can, as we had a you know, the terrible financial crisis, you can get over a financial crisis very quickly because the next generation are coming up very quickly and they're earning and they can turn things around. It means they can also unify a thought very quickly. So it's a very powerful position to be in here. You know, where there's 70 million people in a country, it's very hard to move 70 million people in one direction or another. In Ireland, you've got 4 million people that you can, you can quickly get a message out to. So I think we are gaining in Ireland by a quantum leap where England is burdened by its history. Ireland can ov- overleap the things we missed out on mm. and just come to now, jump to now. Mm-hmm. Don't don't go through all the phases of Victorianism or repressions or just just jump to now, yeah. like like the Middle Eastern countries are doing. Just jump. Is moving back ever a prospect for you? Um, I never, I never, I don't feel it so far away. You know, it's yeah. it's not so far away that. I, I mean, I am from it. I'm of it, and I just, I visit it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, my cousins in Dublin were great friends. You know, I, I think um, I don't feel I'm not there in, in some ways. Mm. Um, I don't know if I retire there. I don't know. And so, how often do you get to go back? And what do you look forward to most? I mainly go back to see my mum. Yeah. And uh, she's still in Cork. She's still in Cork. Yeah. She's still in Cork. And uh, I go back and see her, and she comes over to see me. And uh, long may that last. 
and I, I have lovely friends in Mano and I go to Dublin and I've got my lovely friend Dorothy Cross in the west of Ireland I go over there and mm. um, there's lots I'd like to do like I'm dying to do a big driving trip I haven't done for ages down to Kerry or you know yeah. I haven't done that but I will I will every now and then I, I do you know um, real estate porn and start looking at houses in West Cork and I go oh, I love that and I think, you know, how often would I go and can yeah. you leave it, you know, freezing and damp for 10 months of the year as you maybe go down for two months a year? Yeah, that's true. You could so, do, I mean, Airbnb and stuff. Airbnb, is an yeah, but I, but I definitely, I mean, I, I, I love going there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do think that maybe we don't appreciate our own landscape as much. I'd only, before I left, I'd only, I lived in Mitchestown, like I said, for 24 years and I'd never been down the Mitchestown Caves, which yeah. is like the most... Yeah. Incredible how I like never that. actually did that. And then before I left, I went down to my mum and we had like one of the most like enjoyable days ever and I was yeah. blown away by how yeah. it's funny how you can neglect things that are on your doorstep for so long and it's or only bring a visitor. I mean when you bring yeah. a visitor back, you'll you'll show them some yeah. capes and they'll be thrilled to see them. You know, I have a lot more of a sense of pride as well about yes. having been away for a while, you know. I think that manifests almost unconsciously, like you kind of it builds up. Do you have a better appreciation now or maybe has your your interest or appreciation of Irish um, literature and the arts been enhanced as a result of being aware or does it have like more of a, di- or a different sentiment now or maybe more nostalgic sentiment I mean I'm very I'm very thrilled the place like Dublin have Marina Carr and wonderful writers like that you know but I do also think we might ruin the landscape I mean we've got to not be a small uh, Palatial Republic and her backhanders and we must look after the landscape and that's I'm not normally not conservative about things things must also happen spontaneously but yeah. Kerry could be destroyed and so could West Cork so you know, we've got to keep an eye on what we have got and look after it mm. and um, uh, so I, I think we've got to be very cognizant of what we've got mm. but what have we got? We've got bad weather well, when I was growing up, we had an incredible locality obsession. People in Cork didn't leave Cork. They went on holidays in Cork. They went to West Cork. They went to East Cork. They never went outside Cork. I never went to the West of Ireland until I was an adult, you know. So we didn't discover the country in that way, but I think people are doing that much more now. Yeah. The roads were very bad then. You know, it's, since the EEC, the roads have got much better. Yeah. The road to Dublin was just, it was like heading to Mecca. You know, it was mm. absolutely, you had to kind of take your sandwiches and it was, you took forever. Tinfoil sandwiches. Tinfoil sandwiches. And, you know, you took forever going through all those towns, but yeah. now you shoot up the motorway. And uh, what are you working on at the moment, I guess, besides obviously your lovely home? What I'm working on, I'm not working on, I'm, I'm working at the moment on, I'm doing, directing an opera, Cendrillon, uh, which Cinderella, for Glyndebourne. And that opens in October. Mm-hmm. So I'm just finishing the designs for that. I'm working on a film. Uh, in fact, the director's coming you know, shortly. And um, I mean, the, I'm the director, the writer's film. Um, uh, about Greece, uh, that will may be made hopefully in the next year or so. I'm working on the second series of Killing Eve, which is a wonderful television series written by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And I'm working on... A very, I'm just filming at the moment in Belfast um, a series with Ruth Wilson called Mrs. Wilson about her grandmother, a memoir of her grandmother. So mm. I'm doing these two big television pieces and then I'm doing the opera. Mm. This has opened you up to a new audience, uh, Killing Eve and also yes. True Blood recently as well. Um, what is what, what, what have you thought of the reaction and the different kind of... Uh, demographic of people that are, are now kind of discovering them. it's yeah. funny when I'm in New York I can't go down the street in uh, Fifth Ave or somewhere without a lot of people talking about True Blood but yeah. here people don't particularly talk about True Blood 
and but there and if I'm in California True Blood people just they go on watching it mm. but I also have another audio to do with things like Three Men and a Lady which people went on watching in their childhoods and they kind of so I have very odd audience, children's audiences that grew up. Yeah. And of course the Harry Potter audience who yeah. remain a huge audience. They're a different audience again. Mm. Um, but this uh, recent bout of my doing kind of high-powered television series uh, <coughs> is a new audience. And it's also very nice for me because I get to perform in different parts of the world. We, we did the second half of Killing Eve, which will be out in the autumn, which you'll definitely see. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we did it in Bucharest and you know we'll be all over Europe with it again in the second half of this year so it's very very uh, privileged to be doing scenes mm. um, that are very wittily written in wonderful parts of the world you know it's a very nice way of life in that way yeah how important is it for you to keep yourself busy because your work ethic seems like to not dwindle at all um, well you keep seem to adding more I and more should to be doing mix. more plays I mean I, I I will do a play probably maybe at the end of the year I might do a play mm. yeah no, work ethic isn't the joy of being an artist is that your your work and your life are the same thing. You don't yeah. really feel that in television, mind you. You you, you feel you're just trying to hit... Um, it's like being an archer. You're trying to hit targets. You really are trying to get the thing right because hmm. you're only part of the thing. But when we're doing big plays, you feel you own the thing. And being an opera director is hugely hard for things that I'm not particularly skilled at. I, I have to have these series of meetings all the time. Yesterday, I was my line designer and the designer going through a certain section of the opera. Today I have the costume designer coming and I find this area quite exercising. I have to really learn it. It's mm. not about sitting there going, turn left, turn right. It's the organisation of the thing in advance that I've had to get good at. It's probably maybe why you're attracted to it more, I guess, because it is kind of entering a new um, zone almost from, from what you've been doing for the last... Yeah, you know, years. I was performing morning, noon, night. I was rehearsing all day and performing all night for decades. So... Uh, I now, you know, directing, I'll be going to my 60s this coming year, and I would enjoy directing mm -hmm. because I'm at home in the theatre, like a sort of Boston's holiday, and I understand the rhythm of the theatre, I understand the rehearsal room mm -hmm. dynamics, so I'm very at home in that space, and I don't mind the crises that occur in that space because they're all part of it. Mm -hmm. So I'm not frightened of that, even though sometimes you go, ah, yeah. um, that's part of it. I mean, I suppose once you recognise that part of it is fear, mm -hmm. then you embrace the fear of it. Um, and making, you know, releasing performances is a, a really fantastic feeling. I mm -hmm. love making people release themselves. It's good. Is that the most rewarding aspect? Of it is really. I think it's the live aspect, the fact that, that people suddenly are allied or unified with a piece of language or some singing or beautiful lighting or and that, that, that the intellect and energy and physicality all fuse to make an emotional jewel mm. is just the most profoundly rewarding feeling. Mm. And when you go back home, I mean, you were in the Abbey Theatre a few years ago. Um, is there, I don't know if there's any uh, plans on going back to perform in Ireland again, but when you do, does it does the audience in Ireland vary to elsewhere? And I mean, you must obviously enjoy. They're good. I've done a lot there. of the Abbey. I did Happy Days, which was Beckett, which actually they laughed less in Dublin than they laughed in America. I didn't notice that. I wondered why. Yeah, and I uh, Testament of Mary. I didn't do in Dublin, but that was done by somebody else in Dublin. But I I have done. Medea was in Dublin and Hedda mm -hmm. was in Dublin. Yeah, I started a lot of things in Dublin and that was, uh, the audiences are very good. Very, mm -hmm. well, they're very fulsome. They turn up for a start. It's mm -hmm. a very good city, Dublin, for audiences. But 
when I was in Cork, it was a desert in terms of theatre, apart from the Everman, who, who always did good stuff. Yeah. But now it's a marvellous place. Yeah, still to this... I mean, now it was a lot more of a facility for it, I guess, yes. as well, you know? It's encouraging. Yes, and you've kind of taken it seriously, and you've produced some very good people. So, you know, yes. it's it's great. But Cork has produced a whole generation, two generations below me, as you are, who are fantastic. I mean, there's a whole other quantum leap that's happened since I was there. Hmm. Um, this is a bit of a... might be a tough question, but... If if you were to to choose a, a contemporary Irish figure, maybe even a historical Irish figure, to to tackle in the form of a, of theatre, um, either directing or acting, who would be the most kind of enticing or challenging prospect? Well, there are some very interesting Irish characters to tackle. Mm-hmm. Somebody do, should do more on James Barry, who was the. Um, uh, who was the Surgeon General of South Africa in 1810, mm. who may have been a woman born in Cork and went to Edinburgh University and joined the army and then uh, and then went and was the uh, nephew stroke niece of James Barry, the artist. I mean, there's some very interesting people in Cork in that way. There's a wonderful, also, I thought it wasn't in Richardstown, but somewhere out beyond Cork uh, County was... Great Rakes, I think in Yule, Great Rakes the Stroker. There's lots of very interesting historic characters that people should take on. Mm. In terms of Irish politics, I don't know um, who I would take on. I still think, you know, fragments of Countess Margaret should be fun to, to find. But I think we the moment's passed now with last year. I think we, we've done that yeah. period. I think that's gone. Um, you had a big involvement in, in, in that kind of I commemoration. I really did. I was going to do a big or a stia and set it in Ireland in the post office and I just did a series of workshops and it never came to pass because suddenly there was three or and I thought the world doesn't need a fourth but I'm sort of half sorry I didn't do that I was going to kind of fuse Yates with 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 Greeks yeah <laughs> that was a big job <laughs> yeah great well um, that's 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 everything uh, thank you very much for taking the time to, to chat with us and uh, hopefully um Hopefully we, we get to meet again in the future. I hope so. I hope Thank so. You very much. That was the wonderful and insightful Fiona Shaw. Keep an eye out for her in the new series of Killing Eve due out in the UK this summer. And as she mentioned there, she is showing no signs of slowing down, be it theatre, TV, film, opera or any other venture. Tune in again in two weeks for another conversation. And until then, take care. <laughs>